startuprad.io, your podcast and YouTube blog covering the German startup scene with news, interviews, and live events. Hello and welcome, everybody. This is Joe from startuprad.io, your startup podcast and YouTube blog from Germany, bringing you a Again, another interview, this time not with an entrepreneur from Germany, Austria or Switzerland, but we will talk about Germany, Austria and Switzerland. I first would like to welcome Daniel, who actually resides right now in the Netherlands. Hey, how are you doing? <laughs> hey, Joe. Thank you for thank you for having me. Doing, doing very well. Uh, fairly close by to Germany, so that <laughs> should be okay. Yeah, and, and I... Do you believe if you speak Dutch, you can understand a lot of German and the other way around? Yeah, yeah. However, like, uh, I'm I'm originally from Italy, so my Dutch is like enough to order a coffee and, and my German probably even worse. <laughs> and we discussed it before, but the very important question here, you, you're living in Rotterdam. Is there good Italian food around? Yeah. <laughs> um, No, <laughs> it's getting better. It's getting better over the past, like, uh, you know, I've been here almost 10 years now. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's impossible. It's impossible. <laughs> <laughs> okay, glad we got that out of the way. Um, You are here because you are the uh, founder of Equidem, a company which helps um, entrepreneurs, especially entrepreneurs, to give a fair valuation to their startup, startup idea very early on, especially. But before we do that, of course, as always, down here in the show notes, you will be linked, um, your LinkedIn profile. And I went through it and I've seen you, you did quite a lot of international studies, um, like Padova. Uh, you, yeah. uh, how is it really called? Università degli Studi studi di Padova. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Italian is such a beautiful language. Sorry for butchering that. <laughs> no, no. Um, you, you've been also in Glasgow, and I assume you ended up in Rotterdam because you have been there at Erasmus University, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so I, I come from a small village um, close to the border with Austria, actually, uh, even though that's also an Italian-speaking village, so no no German-speaking then. Um And then, yeah, I, I uh, studied uh, economics and management in, in Padua and then uh, did an exchange semester in Glasgow, uh, the University of Glasgow, which is actually a very nice uh, university with like some, some very big names as professors, which was, was pretty awesome. And then, uh, yeah, I came to Rotterdam for my master in uh, finance and investments um, in 2013. So... Uh, quite a bit of uh, moons ago, but uh, um, yeah, studied a bit all over the place, always finance and and kind of trying to bring it, you know, uh, Rotterdam when I came here was the was the fourth best university in Europe for for finance. Um, so that's that's kind of what what brought me to the to the flatlands. Yeah. Flatlands. <laughs> Very nice. Um, ca can you give us like a 10, 30 second pitch why people should go to Padua? Because I've been researching it a little bit in on the internet. I've never been there, honestly, but it looks very, very nice. Yeah, pa Padua is a nice uh, little city. It's about 250,000 people with like 60,000 students or so. So it's very, 
university centered let's say but um <laughs> very historical i think you know a few monuments to see um yeah definitely a very nice uh, little italian city to see and when i see this right here it's not too far away from venice and if you travel from milan to bologna like i did a uh, logical stop would be padua and then venice so Guys, here is your next travel idea. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. After taking again a detour, sorry guys, uh, I'm the king of detours, I know here. Um, we already know how you ended up in Rotterdam, but I see you've been doing a few stops before you started Equidem. Um, you, you set it up originally in the Netherlands, in Rotterdam, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, directly out of university, and really. Uh, before that, I've, like, I, I had an internship with a, with a small company. Uh, interesting. It was the Italian importer of um, ATVs and scooters for, for certain brands. So n unre completely unrelated, but uh, definitely an interesting, fun experience. And then, yeah, Equidam uh, through, the, through the studies here in Rotterdam. Yeah. Okay. And now the interesting question, how did you up? end up evaluating startups because my understanding is you had some background from finance of course it's also an interesting topic i've once seen um a book called the dark side of valuation uh, star uh, pre-revenue startups and stuff like that i do believe it's interesting i do believe it's a great idea but i'm not sure what attracted you there enough to say oh let's say here in the flatlands and set up a company so, sorry for everybody from the netherlands uh very sorry <laughs> it was funny term it's very flat they know it's very flat the um yeah right how how does somebody end up in in uh, in valuation <laughs> it's like it's one of those topics that if you tell it at parties you know people like kind of go talk to somebody else you know <laughs> so <laughs> the um so, like in general, and we uh, have the headline of the interview, <laughs> <laughs> but but it's true, it's true. The the so when I was like fifteen or so, I was really into like programming and things like that. And um, when I came afterwards, I did decide to go study finance and not like computer science and those things. But when I was uh, studying here in Rotterdam, uh, we were. I was really thinking, okay, a lot of this process can be automated with, you know, with proper data uh, on a website and 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 have it as a as a do-it-yourself solution. So, we started actually with a blog. We started with a blog that was talking about entrepreneurial finance, trying to help entrepreneurs with the topics of finance because entrepreneurs they you know they they know a lot about their own field they know a lot about uh you know maybe management if they if they come from business but not strictly speaking about finance and so we really thought there was a uh, there was a gap to fill and through the blog we basically iterated the idea and this question of valuation always came up from uh, from all sides you know and obviously it's a central topic in entrepreneurial finance is the the valuation of the of the startup when the company raises capital and so on and you know and we kind of said like okay with the with the computer background uh, with a lot of data we can definitely make this into a solution and uh, and see where it, where it leads us you know um 
in terms of like I, 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 I really like what you did there basically you're testing the waters you did not do like any survey or something for your idea evaluation you just put out a blog and always leaned toward where there is the most interest which i personally find very interesting very novel approach as far as i can tell yeah i think it was it was a bit of a mix because i do believe that you know the calculation itself is super interesting like finding out you know the the actual value of course is what you try to do on the stock market all the time but on the stock market the margins are so thin you know the the every every stock is researched by by thousands of people and it's very difficult to you know to to innovate much to bring a lot of value but i think on the private market uh, at least when we started you know it's uh, but also now like it's it's a it's a dark art as you said right as as you said about the book um it's a dark art that uh, that is super interesting to explore with data is super interesting to explore in a in a leveraged way i believe um so yeah that's uh, <laughs> that's how i got into this racket <laughs> And how did you acquire your first clients? Yeah, so we, we did like an incredibly sort of extreme application of that theory of if you're not ashamed of your first version, you didn't launch fast enough. So our first version was uh, was up in two weeks. Uh, it was uh, like um, what would now be a Squarespace website with a Google form, with a PayPal link, and you know a lot of manual processes in the back. And um, we started testing it with a bit of uh, advertising, a bit of AdWords uh, campaigns. And also we were working very closely with a crowdfunding platform here in the Netherlands. And of course, they had all these entrepreneurs that wanted to, um, you know, to raise capital on this platform. And they they didn't have the resources to, you know, to to do a proper valuation with a valuator. But at the same time, they all had these ideas of, there was this guy with a with a whiteboard and and he drew a pair of glasses on the whiteboard and he was he, he wanted a valuation of two and a half million uh, in 2013. So the platform really had a need to you know um, calm down this this over optimism from from companies and um, that's where we fit uh, fit in at the beginning. And now we're talking about. Um, valuation of companies. My understanding is what you also have on your website that you helped more than 130,000 startup companies to get a valuation. My understanding is that your, your biggest market is Europe. Your second biggest market is the US. And then there are some markets like Asia, Middle East, Africa, um, South America, where you also do some work, but basically it's it's not your main market. Um, so I would be first, before we talk about that, I would be first curious, what did you learn so far in the last nine years evaluating <laughs> startup companies? Do the uh, founders get crazier or the investors? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. Um so like uh, a lot of things have changed I think over over 9 years in the in the startup environment especially in Europe but I think all over the world um they both get crazy I think in different directions no so <laughs> entrepreneurs like you you always have you always have um optimism that's what fuels entrepreneurs right and that's like very well and good um but when does it become you know overconfidence and when does it become even even more than that so that's uh, 
that's always the question and um you do have sometimes like you know um people that are super convinced that uh they are gonna be the fastest growing company in history um which is fine, like it could be, but statistically, it's not gonna be right. So there's a very, very, very small chance, and um, and so you know, so there is there is all that part. Investors on the other side, like we started with very much um, unsophisticated investors, I think at the beginning. You know, a lot of people coming from real estate, a lot of people coming from traditional investments in in maybe more traditional companies, and. They didn't. They didn't get the startups. They didn't get the valuations for sure. Um, they didn't understand them, and uh, they didn't understand, you know, scaling, hyperscaling, um, software margins, uh, you know, SaaS, um, uh, SaaS risk uh, return profiles, and uh, and so like you know, a lot of a lot of uh, people were just lowballing valuations for for a very long time. Um, not because of their fault, just you know they didn't know, and uh, and I think like that has finished pretty much now. Like now that we're seeing, like you know, in in my opinion, the the peak of valuations is because because people finally understood the model of uh, software. But uh, yeah, things have changed a lot. Yeah. Um, as we said in the beginning, we will end up in a German-speaking startup scene. You prepared a few weeks for this. Awesome. And by the way, once again, exclusive data here. And um, But I would first like to get a rumor out of the way because my understanding is that a lot of people, especially here in Germany, talk about, oh, yeah, there are always big evaluations in the US. Are they higher? Because I just talked on another podcast to somebody who does professionally evaluate companies and he said yeah two guys uh zero revenue with the computer in a garage working on an idea it's one to two million us dollars valuation yeah um yeah uh it's true it's definitely true like like the there is a discrepancy the question is is it an unfair discrepancy uh you know like the the main difference is with the with the US and Europe are uh, a market difference a huge like the US is a huge single market pretty much that a software company can conquer basically from one office pretty much where Europe is is a lot of uh, different markets with different regulations with different uh, you know we cannot even hire cross country without uh, without a lot of complications and and so there is much more potential maybe uh, from from a US standpoint for the startup to grow much bigger Uh, the M&A market is much uh, more developed, much more active, much easier to sell uh, companies at much higher valuations. And, um, you know, and, and okay, the capital is also more available, but that's, I think, less and less true. Like it was really, really true at the beginning, um, five or six years ago. Now, I don't think that's the... Uh, that's a discrepancy that, that justifies all that difference in valuation. So... Um, Yeah, valuations are still different, but is it, you know, if, if a company is based in Germany, the Netherlands, the UK, and, you know, and it has the same scaling opportunity of a company based in San Francisco, would the valuation be different? Yes, but not by that much, you know? I think the main difference is the difference in opportunity and the difficulty in, in achieving that large opportunity 
uh, that that makes the valuations different. Ah, and the costs, of course, right? So so there is also an incredible difference in costs uh, for for salaries for for a lot of things from uh, from Europe to the US, which means they do have to raise more money. They do need to uh, have a higher valuation in order to uh, you know justify also the. Um, the incentives for the founders, right? When when we talk about a, a valuation of two million for for a pre-revenue, uh, two people in a garage that are just getting started, that valuation is not really based. Is not really well. It's based on the company itself, but it's also based on we need to give these founders enough equity to have incentives to bring this company to success in the future. And you know, if we inv- if they need a million and we take. 85% of the company, these guys are going to be working for Google in three months, you know, so we're basically wasting that million. So we give them a higher valuation, um, a bit because of like of math of this big opportunity, but also because we want them to have the right incentives at the beginning. That sounds pretty good. Just a guesstimate, can you make that? How much would it be uh, here around in Germany, two guys? Um, a computer, uh, two computers in a garage, and pre-revenue. Uh, so uh, it's su- it's super difficult to say. It's super difficult to say. I think like you know we're not that far off. Like definitely in between the two million and and the half of that. Like you know, um, I think I think those are the valuations uh, discrepancies right now. It's not as huge as it used to be. It used to be like easily you know 10 times that like somebody in europe was raising at 600k for the same round they were they were raising at 6 million pre-money in the us um now is much is much different now we get to the interesting part let's talk about germany austria and switzerland and what you've learned there disclaimer i don't know the data up front i just know he prepared something for us <laughs> and of course uh, if you go down here in the show notes wherever you're watching this wherever you're listening to this there will be a link and there you can see all the data plus um if you're listening to this on our radio station you can scan the cover code and there will be a qr code that brings you straight to our medium blog yeah, so so like what what we're doing a little bit with our data is to try to go against the hype a little. The a lot of the startup news that people see around is about you know the best startups, and so I, I think a lot of founders kind of live with the impression that they can they can raise five hundred million after six months, and uh, you know that's because like maybe one startup or two startups have done it. They made the news a whole lot. Um, with our data and with all the startups that uh, that go through us, maybe we have a little bit of a less uh, biased view on these things. And so, for example, something that that surprised me is like if we look at rounds uh, in Germany from uh, zero and a million euros, um, the companies are on average uh, from 2020, so they are two years old. And we're looking at the past year of data um, gathered on on Equidem. They have on on average uh, 2.25 founders and uh, two employees on top of those founders, right? So there is already something there. It's not the two two people in a garage, and uh, um, so you know. And uh, when instead, when we look at uh, funding rounds from one to 2.5 million, the companies are on average four years old, 
so between three and four years old, and and they have seven point five employees, right? Um, and then when we look at uh, funding rounds like between uh, five and seven million, we have instead uh, fifteen employees. You know, so um, this is like. I think a little bit different compared to you know the WhatsApp story that they were forty people and they sold to Facebook for what was it four billion no sixteen billion at the time, um, and uh, and I think it's quite interesting to see that you know uh, like the vast majority of companies is like normal companies that take normal time let's say to uh, to hit these milestones. Uh-huh. That that's definitely. Um, an important point here. So you only hear about the most extremes, the uh, like the top outliers here, and it's not too bad if you don't do it as long as you are, uh, if you can survive. And as you said, like the 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 biggest, uh, like the bigger money comes in, like two years after you founded four years after you found it and so on and so forth. Yeah. So basically you have to have a long breath. And as I said, you have to be pretty enthusiastic about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and the thing is like uh I there was there were some strange statistics on um, on these things over the years. But for example, even uh, like there was a big study in in France about uh, fun- communicated funding rounds, no, and mm-hmm. they double checked all the press releases with the data that came out in the Chamber of Commerce after a couple of years, and what they found is that the press releases are overstated by on average twenty percent. So, and this is not even only the valuation; even the amount of capital is overstated, which I thought always, you know. Okay, this must be the only certain number in the world is how much money they actually raised in this round, right? But uh, even that is overstated by, on average, 20%. Um, and then, pair to that, the fact that um, all the people that don't have a, a funding round that is worthy of a PR, they probably are not going to even end up in a database, right? They're not going to end up on Crunchbase or, or DealRoom or, or whatever it is. So... Uh, you know, when you do those averages, uh, like you, you get a really biased picture and, uh, you know, and I think for a lot of, uh, uh, for a lot of founders biased in, in the wrong way, you know, like, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think quite an interesting, uh, phenomenon that happens in this industry. Um, and m- my understanding is you have to have a few employees before you can even raise millions. And my other understanding is that you um, that you have um, that you have to have something to show because nobody will say, "Oh yeah, you look nice. Let uh, I'll give you a million. Uh, I give you a million euros." That yeah. just doesn't yeah, work that's, like that's that. The, the I mean that's the average, right? So. And that's the strange thing about looking at averages is that, you know, yeah, you can be that company that raises without anything because, you know, um, we saw, for example, a company had a, a key patent in the in the technology of a, of a large uh, pharmaceutical company. And obviously, they, they were like four people pre-revenue and they sold the company for, I think, 95 million uh, euros, you know. Um, so obviously, those things happen. Um, but I think it's, it's, you know, um, it's good to look, it's good to look at a bit broader data than just assume that everybody raises without, um, 
So the, the actual data is much uh, more conservative, quote unquote, than the PR that you see on uh, on magazines, let's say. Um, okay, w what I take now out of it, if you get some press releases, the money is 20% less, the valuation is 20% lower on average. And um, you have to be there two years to raise million amounts. And um, you, as, as my personal feeling is as well, also state that you mostly the headlines are grabbed by the positive outliers. Um, as you said, like a handful of people, 95 million pre-revenue. Um, I don't think a lot of people would buy a pre-revenue company for any price and then 95 million. Well, there, there has to be a reason behind it, but yeah. most of the time it's called a strategic price. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So definitely have something. What we, what we um, always advise people to do is, you know, um, taste the waters, right? Like speak with a few investors that maybe are not your 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 top picks for for your funding round and understand what uh, where the market is at with the, with these type of things. Because just by looking, what a lot of people do is that they look at the press, they look maybe at some databases, maybe they look at some crowdfunding platforms because they have public valuations, um, but they don't realize about, you know, they don't realize this bias. And investors, they get, you know, they get pitched, 100 companies a day they know where the where the market stand and they know um you know the specifics of a company that needs to raise um at this moment in time because it's a competitive process right it's not like you don't need to fit a checklist you need to be the best in a in a group of companies right right so um until you ask you pretty much are never going to know uh where you stand in that in that group of companies And the thing is, you usually don't learn it. There is a big information bias in favor of a uh, big asymmetric information, I do believe is the right word, in favor of the investors. And basically, that's why you are here, is my understanding. Uh, yeah, yeah. So so we are here for the information and for the knowledge bias, because... Um, Aside from not having the data, a lot of founders don't even have the knowledge on how to calculate valuation and how to do these type of things. Um, on the other hand, we do serve like both sides. So about 10% of what we do is actually buy side. So investors and all the platforms and all those people. So we're always trying to, we're always trying to find out what's a fair price for, for the company. And that's, you know, has a bunch of assumptions like, you know, there should be multiple buyers, should be a liquid market and things like that. So it's very difficult to say what's a fair price, but that's what we strive for um, in uh, in what we do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, you've mentioned crowdfunding platforms with public valuations. What do you say are the valuations on crowdfunding platforms? Are they high? Are they on average? Or are they on the lower end? of what you would expect? Yeah, that's a good question, right? So how do you answer that question, right? In, if, <laughs> <laughs> if, if the returns are uh, more or less in line with the risk that people are taking, right? And like, have we, like now we're starting to have actually maybe enough data about the first years of crowdfunding because the startups have, have evolved and some have managed to, um, to cash out. And like, from the fact that, you know, 
nobody talks about it, I guess. <laughs> like it's not it's not uh, all uh, sunshine and rainbows there, you know. So uh, it's a good it's a good question. Then the other question is: Are the startups overvalued, or are we just not picking the right startups in uh, in the crowdfunding platforms? You know, um, but um, like yeah, overall it seems that. Like some some startups have been very successful on on crowd and and they raise capital on uh, on crowdfunding platforms. So, you know, um, especially I think in the UK, a lot of them have made the news uh, because that's also the most developed market for for equity crowdfunding per se. Um, so it could be you know with the right selection, um, it can it can be profitable as a portfolio, even adjusting for the risk. So. Um, yeah, I mean, in, in what we do, we help a lot of crowdfunding platforms and I don't think the valuations are much different in, you know, the ones that we help compared to the ones that we don't help. Um, so it seems to be, to be fairly fair. Yeah. Okay. You talked about helping and we're now recording for more than 25 minutes and you did not pitch your services yet, which I greatly appreciate. But can you tell us, like to make the 30, uh, 30 minutes full, tell us a little bit about what people could expect on your platform. And of course, as always, there will be a link down here in the show notes where you find the link to egg with them. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no, no. But uh, the... Uh, I think like what what people can do, the 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 reason to go on Equidam is that you're either planning a funding round or you received uh, interest, you received more or less an offer, and you wanna you wanna give a counter. And what you do is that you can come on Equidam, you fill in some simple information uh, about the company, you fill in your financial projections, and then the platform calculates the the value of the startup with five methods. And it prints a PDF report that you can use uh, when negotiating the valuation with investors, um, you know, or when you're making a counter for uh, for investors. So that's how about 90% of our customers use uh, use Equidem. Yeah. Okay. And for everybody who would like to learn more or reach out to you, you can go down here in the show notes. Um, I have one funny question because you talk such a lot about funding and stuff like this. Um, are you guys currently open to talk to investors if they approach you? And of course, I know you have a total proper valuation for yourself nailed down, right? <laughs> we, we know how to how to put the right numbers. No, uh, <laughs> uh, not at the moment. Not at the moment. Um, we're like we're currently, you know, happy with our with our uh, situation, but uh, it might be might be this year, um, depending on on a lot of changes on the market. Yeah. And all investors who'd like to reach out to you directly, down here in the show notes, there's also your LinkedIn profile. Only thing left for me, thank you very much, mille grazie. Hope the best for you, and maybe we'll have you back in some time and we talk about recent developments. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. That's all, folks. Find more news, streams, events and interviews at www.startuprad.io. Remember, sharing is caring.